Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. Innova Asset Management is a boutique portfolio manager that has been managing client portfolios since 2010. Innova believe in constructing portfolios that work with investor behaviour rather than against it. This is why they have built risk-focused portfolio solutions that support a goals-based advice framework. Innova's focus on risk management and their active approach to asset allocation has been designed to work through all market cycles, which was evident in 2020 when they were able to participate in the market rebound while also protecting capital on the downside. Hello and welcome to this topic series on behavioural investing, where we take a deep dive into the client and advisor decision-making process. My name is Fraser Jack and in this episode number three of five, we tackle values-based decision-making. From understanding what motivates your client's actions and behaviours to finding investments that reflect your client's goals as well as their values, allowing clients to take ownership in the decisions that you make together. If you are having these types of conversations with your client or thinking about it, you'll get a lot out of this episode. Thank you, everybody, for joining us again. We are in the midst of talking about uh, values-based decision-making. We're halfway through our five-part series, uh, and we're starting to get a little bit deeper into the way that human beings work. We've covered off on some of the biases. Uh, We've talked about uh, how goals are such an important part of that process. Uh, I'm joined by Patricia and Catherine. Thank you very much for both for being here. Catherine, I'm going to throw to you on this one to start with. We're going to talk about about how values, uh, you know, control people's behaviors and, and the decisions decisions that they make. Do you want to kick us off with what your thoughts are? Values control all of our decisions that are both conscious and unconscious. So we move towards our values always. And if we aren't moving towards our values as individuals, we know because that's when we won't be feeling good. So there'll be some kind of, you know, they, they call it these days of mental health issues um, but it's basically where you're, you're not feeling good and the reason is because you're probably not living your life in accordance with your values. And so I see the values discussion is really core because of that, because it's so important to each of us. But I see it in the advice relationship as even more important because there's that uh, that famous line that clients want to, or not all, of course, but most clients want to pass on their values. They don't want to pass on their valuables. So when, when we start to think about clients in terms of big family units that probably carry similar values within those family units and start thinking about them as a group of people and we're the facilitator of how to, how to actually ensure that there's an intergenerational carrying on of the good quality values that got their family to the point where they are today. That's such an empowering discussion, I think, for, for clients. And it's the kind of discussion that's going to make them kind of bounce out of our offices, not, not just slump out because they'll be really, they'll be so empowered to be thinking about the next generations and the kind of family um, empire that they're building in a way. 
so that's I kind of see it with those those two components. Yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, you know, when you talked about the the idea of not quite knowing, you know, yeah, you have that feeling where you know something's not quite right or it's just incongruent with you know your values. Uh, but then I also find it's often very difficult for people to be able to articulate what their their values are because they haven't necessarily done that work. Um, uh, Patricia, when you you know have clients come into the office and and, and you and you're talking to them about you know these decisions and you're looking for these uh, triggers and and values that that are going to dictate what their goals might be, um, do do you work with your clients in any way to try and find these out, or how, how do you go about uh, understanding what a client's values are? Yeah, no, it's a great question, and uh, to be perfectly honest, it's something that I want to improve in our business, um, and I think it's something that. Um, the majority of businesses still need to work on. Um, there's a lot of the why, you know, why is this important? Why this is this important to you? That helps. But, uh, I still think that we, we lack tools to really drill down into what our values are, what our clients' values are, but, and also explain to them why we're even doing it. For some clients and even advisors, it can be, uh, an uncomfortable conversation because, you know, someone comes into you, they don't even know you, they, um, exposing the entire financial situation and mistakes, um, that they potentially embarrassed about and a lot of things, um, to a complete stranger. Um, and then you want to ask them about why and why things are important and why that is, is quite, I find that quite difficult to tackle early on. Um, and even with the tools that I've tried to use in the past that, you know, have been proven to work, I think that, um, that probably the solution is a combination of both. It's, you know, starting slow and, and then slowly building the trust and slowly learning more. Um, the way I've done it, given, uh, I don't have the perfect, uh, solution is, um, the getting to know my clients. So, um, the more you get to know them, the, the more you start understanding their values just by the way that they talk to you without even having to ask specific questions. Um, but it's definitely something that I think we should improve on. And, uh, financial planning is a lot about being a little bit of a, um, psychologist and counselor in a way, which is not our area of expertise. We, we didn't go to university, um, to learn that. Um, but you know, we need to improve our people's skills and, and, and drill down on those things to help with behavioral uh, decisions. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, that is extremely important and potentially an area that, uh, needs to be explained to clients and advisors better um, from you know you know, from when they um, first come on board and also when 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 uh, advisors go to university. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, the way I do it is by uh, asking some questions early on and then learning more about them. And then not it's not like a full on what's your values, um, <laughs> you know, what's important to you, and drilling down. It's uh, little by little by little, and you building that. And then as you build more trust, you actually find that they'll tell you things that they didn't tell you at the beginning anyway, even if you put a question in front of them. Uh, that's why, you know, I am a strong believer that robo-advice has a place uh, to reduce fees and help people that can't afford advice and, and, and address certain things, but it, it will never address this because not even humans with uh, PhDs are amazing at addressing it. Yeah, this is a really interesting point, uh, Patricia. That, um, uh, and I'll ask you about it, Catherine, because that, that concept around building trust and and just going back, uh, Patricia, to your you know passing on values, not valuables. That that could be a great way to introduce the conversation um, with your clients. You know, we're here to, to to deal with your valuables as well as you know your values. That trust thing, you know, obviously going in deep into somebody and doing some work with somebody on their values, you kind of really do need to have that deep level of trust, Catherine. What are your thoughts? Mm, mm-hmm. It's very true. And 
There are some people who are experts in exactly that, building that trust in a very short amount of time in the initial meeting. And like you said, Patricia, they're probably from a field that's not the business school. (laughs) Uh, They're probably from one of the other sectors. But um, I remember when I started being a financial advisor, 2007, kind of a similar time frame to you, I think, started the GFC. And the conferences that I was going to with the AFA in particular had these what I call the old lifies. And they had this incredible way of like a sequence of talking to clients to elicit their values and then to, because it was they were kind of the old school style, of then, of course, kind of uh, providing a solution as well, uh, some kind of solution that actually aligns with their values within one discussion, which inspired me so much to think about this is actually, po- this is possible. You can, it can be done. It's not something that we are taught at university. It's not something that is um, really detailed in our codes of ethics or in the regulation, but it's something that can be used to really develop those client relationships at such a deep level. And once we have actually built the trust, so we can build trust in lots of different ways. We can either build trust uh, quite quickly using some of these very um, specific psychological techniques that, for example, psychologists have to use or else they're going to have the first five meetings are going to be completely useless. Or, of course, it can be just time. So it can just be a client that's been with us for 10 years is going to be um, trusting us, (laughs) as simple as that. Once we have that trust, regardless of how quickly we get it, and we can engage in that level of discussion about the values, the the power of our relationship with that client is going to be so much deeper, so much more connected to who they are really at their core. So... The like the goals based approach is such a fantastic approach because it's so easy to um, help clients to understand that they are moving towards their goals, they're going to achieve their goals, and we're helping them on that journey, and it's so empowering. But that that's almost superficial in some way to who we are as people, which is very much our values and very much almost everyone. If you give them the list of possible values, one of them is family in the list, and almost everyone says my number one value is family. And then so the next discussion is, of course, fantastic. Tell me about how much time you're spending with your family. Oh, yeah. Well, I see my parents once every two months. They do live a couple of hours away. All right. Okay, great. So let's have a discussion around that and help help you to be living your life according to your values. So I see it as something that can be so empowering, especially when that's there's that intergenerational discussion. Like imagine if we had a KPI that was how many intergenerational clients do you have as as an advisor? As it just it'd be just be a KPI on how well do you do values based advice, I suppose, because that's what it is. If you're doing that, then well, as well as other ways, they're bringing in everyone else. Yeah. Now, Catherine, this is you've got some really good points there. One is obviously knowing your client, and I think that that values is a great part of that. And and you also mentioned uh, uh, the idea around you know everybody you know it's when it comes to values, you can see a list and go, yeah, yeah, that's definitely what my values are. But um, I think this is one of those areas where past performance is an indication of future performance uh, when it comes to values because. Um, people often have, you know, like you said, the behavior, you know, this is my value. Great. Show me your diary. Show me how that actually works out uh, for you. Because if it was a true value, you'd probably put more prioritization around it. So um, what are your thoughts around this concept of, you know, understanding your past 
decision making, especially if we're talking about uh, values based decision making, what are the past decision making um, traits that you've you've made decisions on that might be an indication of what your values are? In psychology, uh, we use behavior as such a fantastic indicator. And we, well, we use it in, in financial advice as well. So one of the questions, of course, is um, tell me about, you know, what your values are, your family or your, your, um, your perspective on risk. And then the other question is, fantastic. So you say you're a conservative investor and you really don't want to take any risk. Great. Tell us about some of the investments you've made. Oh, I own three rental properties in the suburb of Narang on the Gold Coast. Right. Okay. So, and they're all, they're, they've all got mortgages. Yep. Okay. Excellent. So obviously what you say and what you do are completely different in that, in that instance. And in the financial space, that's kind of an interesting, easy discussion to have about that contradiction. In the personal space, though, it's really difficult because the, the person, which is most of us who would rate our family values as one of our highest values, um, yet we don't invest that much time yeah, with our family, with our parents, with our extended family, that is one of the main sources of that sense of unease potentially that the person has or whatever, however that manifests in their life, the, the not being 100% happy. So if we can identify what that is and oh, that discussion is a very complicated discussion because they're not expecting to have that discussion about living their life according to their values and how we can play a role in that. What is it that's stopping them from seeing their parents more or and can we support that as a goal that we can we can work towards achieving? That's a hard discussion. I don't know how that would play out in, in the coalface. Do you have experience with that, Patricia? Yeah, no, it's really um, interesting how um, you can see that play out in, in your meetings. Um, you know, with our business, we um, – doing intergenerational advice like you know we've got grandparents parents children grandchildren and it, um it's really amazing to even see the way that they comment about each other and you know the family the interactions and all of that um but one of the things that we uh one of our philosophies is that um, we believe that money is only as good as the memories is it buys us and um that's a way that we um, so we remind them of that philosophy and we, we remind them, um, of, of their goals and making sure that they've been aligned. And I know, are you sure you want to keep working longer? Are you sure you want to uh, not spend as much time with your family? Uh, so that comes into play, um, about getting the balance right. Um, and what I say to people, to my clients is that, uh, everyone's balance is different though. <laughs> And, you know, there isn't a one size fits all balance. You know, uh, the balance doesn't actually mean that you actually have to work less. For some people, that could be working less. For, for others, it's not. So they need to decide what the right balance is for them. And they need to decide what the right memories that they want to buy are. Um, and essentially, um, our job is just to remind them of that, that, so they're not in just the, you know, hamster wheel, um, that they're leaving their lives along the way and that, um, they're going to essentially uh, look back and be proud of what they've achieved. And, you know, no one's perfect. Uh, uh, all of us do that. I don't live by that myself all the time, but I keep reminding myself of that. And I think it's important to, uh, to keep doing that with clients and figuring out their own values. And you do that by the, you know, the goals that they have, by the things that they told you that they're afraid of or excited about. Um, and that's um, what can essentially be a trigger for them to 
change the path that they're going on. Patricia, I really love that saying, money is only as good as the uh, the memories that it buys you. I think it's a fantastic uh, realisation that this is all about uh, to human business, that um, everybody's in and, and the money um, forms part of that. And, and by bringing that money and that investment or that conversation and those goals back to life, back to an emotion or a feeling and, you know, money money's, money's there to buy you magical moments. Um, I think it's a great I think it's a great way then of cementing that in the client's mind and in their values to understand and be able to, you know, tell their friends about that at a barbecue. Uh, we might leave this particular subject here. We could we could talk about it for hours. Um, I just wanted to uh, to 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 float. Well, we'll catch uh, we'll chat to the two of you again when we start talking about risk profiling in the next episode. Look forward to it. As we continue our conversation into values-based decision-making, I'm joined again by Dan and David. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Uh, I'm going to start with you this time, David. Tell us about your thoughts and ideas around uh, values-based decision-making. Obviously, we covered a lot of things in the previous episodes around bias and um, and risk, but tell us about yep. your, your overview. Yeah, so probably start in the institutional world. So what's happening in big super funds and what's happening in big pension funds around the world and what's happening in global investment management around the world. And there, the push is strongly into um, accounting for ESG um, and thinking more and more about sustainability. And the push there is significant. The The trends are there. They're only going to get stronger. And um, yeah, I sort of see a lot of that. I'm sort of on the edge of observing that in a pretty constant way. Uh but then I sort of think about, wow, huge challenges again for the advice community because um, there's some key differences here. One is that when you're a super fund or a pension fund or an institutional investor, you're actually um, overlaying your own values and you're integrating them into the way that you manage um, a portfolio and a member or an investor can choose to participate into that portfolio. So it's sort of one definition of values and um, and move, move from there. Whereas with a advice world, I'm just going, wow, this is what a challenge because, you know, the, it's based on individual conversations, tailored financial plans. And so one of the key things I'm interested in exploring today is, well, do you have um, personalized definitions of value? And, and if so... Wow, how, how, how will this work? Yeah, I, I definitely want to get into that conversation. But before that, we do that, uh, I'll throw to you, Dan, as well. What are your thoughts on this uh, on this topic? Yeah, I, I, I find it extremely interesting. I've had conversations with people quite frequently about um, ethics and values. And, you know, we can start off simply with things such as ESG. I had a conversation with somebody recently who, who looked at what, you know, one you know, ESG metric score showed somebody as being extremely high and another one extremely low. And they're like, how, how can that possibly be? I said, well, ethics mean different things to different people. Different people have different values. If you speak to a, you know, if you, you might speak to a priest or somebody who's highly uh, religious and the idea of um, investing in a company that produces condoms might be very unethical. And yet, if you talk to a missionary in Africa, um, they think they're one of the most amazing things for preventing disease in the world. They're two completely different, two, two different values um, on the exact same topic. Um, but values is not just around ethics. It's you know also about things like you know um, fees and, and and you know the and, and quality and you know what 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 do you personally value like what is it that you want to what is it that you value out of the world a lot of people you know it, it, it might be money it, it uh, a lot of people it might money might be have, have just be a means to an end to achieve certain things um and i think there's just there's there's an enormous challenge in that uh, we as an industry have not provided advisors with anything like the level of tools that they need to be able to have 
conversations with clients to flesh out what those what those values are to them so that not, not only what are they and what's it, what, how important they are but potentially you know how you would you would rank them um, and and how you would prioritize them I think that, that that's a huge challenge um, and a very interesting one that, I, that I'm sure we will overcome but it's not going to be tomorrow if I just um, add a little bit of data to what you were saying then um, Dan just to go back to that ESG piece and it just highlights the dispersion amongst interpretation um, before we even get to values just on ESG um, there was a piece of research that took the three prime the three largest ESG sort of ratings providers and looked at their ratings across different companies and the correlation between those ratings was only 0.4 uh, and if you do that in credit world where you take the major credit houses and their credit ratings of different companies those credit the correlation between those ratings is 0.9 so something objective like credit risk, becomes really consistently applied um, by different parts of the industry. But then when you get to ESG, um, a lot more qualitative, a lot more interpretation involved. Yeah, you get little consistency. And then you go that step further and you actually get into values. You can just see it would break down further again. So what a difficult situation. It is very difficult for managers. And obviously, that's probably why they have more of a, a scale of deep green to, to light green to are we influencing or are we excluding? So uh, we can go there. But um, Dan, just to your point, there was a lot of um, uh, advisors doing or getting into, involved with this now, understanding or wanting to understand the client's values and, and maybe even talking about their own business having values and their own businesses uh, and trying to attract clients that have similar values to their business, therefore making it easier. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, right, it has been a difficult one. And obviously, we've had a know a know your client uh, part of the Corps Act for many, many years. Uh, but that was taken, I guess, early on to um, knowing the metrics of your client, not necessarily knowing the values of your client. Yeah, no, it, it, absolutely. Um, and and how how does one understand the values of their client? Um, there are tools that are coming out, you know, where people can complete things such as impact assessments um, and, you know, questionnaires that um, advisors off their own bat because they haven't been given the tools themselves to be able to, you know, have a values-based questionnaire to try to, to flesh out um, from their clients what it is that they value. And I think there's a challenge that should be put back on the um, – on the product providers is to provide a plethora of solutions because this this concept of one size fits all is clearly nonsense. Um, there needs to be variability in in the availability of product to be able to provide for um, the fact that you know everybody is different. Um, each situation is going to be different. Yeah, yeah, there might be a lot of overlap and correlation um, in certain pockets of people that fit certain demographics or fit certain regional areas or whatever the case may be, but there is still that level of variability um, in terms of, of, of being able to provide a, a product that helps to achieve those values. Um, and so we need to, as an industry, provide better solutions, one, to allow advisors to flesh out what what it is that that is really really important to the client um, to prioritize it so that because you know you may need to give up something to get something um, and three have uh, viable solutions that you can put together um, and provide to them to that you know may not be the exact 
solution, but you know, is at least a best fit as opposed to a one size fits all approach, which I believe has largely come from the institutional space where. You know, David, as you mentioned, you know the the correlation across those those three institutional spaces on ESG. I mean, we just look at the the view on uranium. I mean, a, uranium was a negative screen on every ESG filter in the world ten years ago, and yet now the demand for uranium because of the push to ESG has completely flipped. Um, but that's at a large institutional level. At, at an individual client level, it, it, it's so much more personalized and. That's where I think we've we've kind of failed as an industry, and we need to help advisors with those, um, you know, values based questionnaires and provide them with with varied solutions so that they can provide results and, and answers that fit different types of people with different values. Mm. It's tricky, Dan. I um, agree with what you're saying. Uh, just wondering. I mean, I'm not an expert, apart from an expert on financial advice sector, but and, and maybe Fraser can fill in a bit here. But yo. Uh, I always think advocate that advisors should know more about the financial literacy skills of their clients. And and I think it's a great idea to find more about their values. But if these values are so nuanced, like the the one on the example on uranium you were giving was, was fascinating. And the same with coal export. Yeah, of course the alternative is exporting from Indonesia, which is dirtier coal and and things like that. These each of these little issues is is really nuanced. And yeah, it's probably unrealistic to get a client across each of these issues. There's a whole plethora of them. So how do we sort of get into a containable sort of conversation that an advisor can have with their clients is is really the challenge I can see. And I, I don't have any great insight into it or guidance on it. Yeah, my thoughts on that are a lot around the idea of understanding a client's values, understands their drivers. And then and then once you've understood your drivers, then there'll obviously be more information and more things to talk about. But it, it, it often comes back down to the thing that they'll remember or, or understand or want, or want to make a decision on, uh, you know, understanding around – um, you know, whether it is a, a deep green or something like that, and then going, okay, great, well, that's X amount of cars. My investment portfolio has removed X amount of cars or equivalent to off the road. Being able to hang their head on something that's quite simple like that is is really interesting because sometimes the amount of information can be just overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I think we need to strike a balance between because it is an incredibly complex and um, area with very, very – um, diverse levels of nuances, as you've said, um, David. And so um, you want to generalize it to an extent, but not generalize it so much that, you know, it's it's a one-size-fits-all that doesn't actually end up achieving what anybody was actually after. Um, and I think we, I think we're getting there. And I think that's that, that concept of different, different people having different or different providers having different philosophies and, and, and abiding by them and, and standing by them and saying, this is what we do. Cause if it, if it fits with you, great. But if it doesn't fit with you, yeah, there's, there's something else out there. Um, but as you said, David, it also comes down to financial literacy because, um, you know, clients can be, have very strong values or very strong views around certain things. I mean, we're largely talking about ESG here, but we can expand on it um but do they necessarily have the 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 um financial um understanding or capacity to be able to make an educated decision because their values are something that they hold very personal it's very personalized and it's very psychological and so you know can that be translated into a more logical um framework um 
you know, I, I think there's there's probably ways that it, it can be done, but it certainly is something that, that needs to be thought of. Um, and I think the advisors that do think about it, um, and they don't have to have the perfect solution, but if they've got some form of solution, they're already miles ahead of, of their com- their competition. Yeah, I think I think values are definitely part of that. Um, we talked about earlier that bias around um, decision making. They're they're definitely part of a goal setting process, but they they're originator and the motivator for goals. Um, David, I want to talk to you about bridging that gap between the you know that emotional f- framework as well as the you know the logical framework when it comes to values. What are your thoughts? I think. There's probably a couple of framing words that help, and that is value, value-based investment versus values-based investment. Value-based investment is when you look at issues like ESG, particularly as risk factors, and sustainability is probably more a thematic piece. And so I think it's the responsibility of any investment manager, any financial advisor to consider the risks to outcomes of any investment. So I can't see how you can ignore value-based investing anymore. Um, you're not really doing your job if you're not accounting for risks which are which may impact outcome. Values-based investing is different, and and this is where it gets difficult. And so what we've seen emerging in institutional world is a reasonably nice sort of framework of how it can be applied. So you've got areas like impact investing where you're making dedicated investment decisions, um, which are going to have societal impact, um, opportunistic investing, where you might be looking to participate in new um, technologies to, to participate in the investment opportunities. So think of your um, you know, batteries, all those of solar, everything like that. Um, then you've got exclusions, and this is something that can be implemented. So in the super fund industry, there's a, you know, generally um, tobacco is excluded and nuclear weapons are excluded from mandates and so forth. And then finally, um, engagement strategies, which is what um, investors do when they're engaging with companies, how they direct their pro- proxy voting and so forth. So they're sort of the four main themes. And you sort of, I look at them at institutional world and think, well, what could be applied by advisors themselves? And it's probably, um, yeah, it could be dedicated impact investing there. It could be opportunistic investing, even through manager identification. Exclusions, I guess that could only come through in a managed account type environment. And then it's the engagement piece, which is probably difficult for advisors to get too involved in. I'd be guessing um, would be my view on that. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that we're sort of approaching the design and distribution type conversations now, Dan. Is that, uh, is that where we're heading with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy to. Happy to. Tell us, tell us about how this values-based investing then can benefit advisors with their design and distribution conversations. I think that being able to sit down with the client and have conversations in regards to um, something such as an impact assessment that allows them to determine what it is that they they find that they find valuable um, that, that that they find close to their heart, whether it's their, their ethical and well, socially responsible considerations, um, uh, or their you know, things such as you know whether it, it's fees or it's just raw return results, uh, what it is that's important to them. There there are solutions out there, and there are ways that people can go about doing things. You know, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually a firm believer that um, that the, the the research is reasonably clear that. Um, Impact investing and, you know, even, you know, light green through dark green investing and, and having an influence on CEOs and company management, um, 
doesn't necessarily have as great an impact as direct charitable investment. So, um, David, one of the things that you, you mentioned um, earlier was, um, um, if I recall, it was the first of the four points was impact investing, I, I believe it was. Um, and but but how can you translate those four into the advice realm? And you know, charitable giving is 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 one that's quite interesting. And um, you know, I, I can see products where um, you know the profits from the offerings that are being made, you know, they can be profit for purpose. They they can be allocated to the charities that are aligned with the the philosophy of of what the product actually is assuming that that's you know as a, as a consumer that, that you hold that you believe in those values and you believe that those are correct um and i you know well i i can tell you that there will be things like that before the end of this year um which i'm quite excited about yeah that's really interesting because it's not just about uh, making returns it's about uh, making a difference yeah Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on this particular episode. Uh, We're going to probably wrap that up there, but we look forward to jumping in and catching you in the next episode when we start talking about risk profiling. Thanks, Fraser. Great, thank you.